Good evening. It's seven o'clock and time now for In Context with Patrick Boynes. Well, good evening. It's great to have you with us again. Yes, welcome to In Context, the radio show where we look at the scriptures and where we'll always aim to look at things within their context. So you can find us here on internet radio by going to truthfm.uk, clicking on the link to listen, or on the truth.fm app. Look out for truthfm.uk when you are there. But of course, if you are with us tonight, you found your way in, so it's jolly good to have you with us once more. Uh, My name is Patrick. I am a follower of Jesus. He is my teacher and, like you perhaps, I'm learning to follow him throughout every moment of life's journey. And we are on a journey through the writings of Luke. Last time we were together, having previously looked at the announcement made to Zechariah the priest that his barren wife was to have a son in her old age, we began to look at what are often spoken of as the uh, the infancy narrative, the infancy narrative of Jesus. Now, if we were to compare the narrative of Luke with that of the other Gospels, and, you know, just occasionally we might want to do something like that, we will immediately recognize that Luke has been far more generous with the details of this extraordinary episode than all of the others put together. Indeed, as you may know, neither Mark nor John have anything to say about it at all. And as for Matthew, well, he certainly does provide some additional information not found in Luke's narrative, but he says nothing at all concerning the birth of the prophet John, or of the angel's visit to Mary, or the journey to Bethlehem. Or indeed, he has uh, nothing to say, at least not much to say, of what happened in Bethlehem, apart from the visit of the wise men from the east sometime after the birth of Jesus. Now, there will be all sorts of reasons for this, but our interest here is in what Luke tells us. And Luke tells us a lot of what is going on behind the scenes. He's already told us of the visit to Mary by Gabriel, the messenger from God, who had given her the news that she was to have a baby with the Spirit of God. And not only that, he shared with her the news that her elderly relative Elizabeth was already pregnant, even though everyone said she could never have a child. 
Well, in all of this, Luke is making it very clear that the Spirit of God has been very much at work in the affairs of mankind, and that something unprecedented is about to take place, something which sees Mary as the principal player in this extraordinary drama. Well, following the visit from Gabriel, Mary headed south into the hill country of Judea to visit Elizabeth and to uh, uh, to share with her in the joy of the Lord that she should have been uh, blessed uh, in this way, that the Lord should have blessed them as he has. And the focus of Luke has been been on the presence of the Holy Spirit and the assurance of fulfillment of all that has been spoken by the Lord. And then Mary speaks. Now, you may recall at the end of last week's programme, we played out with a recording of what I think is a most beautiful song. It's a song based upon the words of the song of praise spoken by Mary as she contemplates the goodness and the mercy and the justice of God and the role that God has called on her to play. Well, here it is, as read by Jill, a servant of the Lord from up north. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, All generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring for ever. Well, thank you, Jill. You may know this song as the Magnificat. Uh, It's a title which comes from the Latin Vulgate version of Luke, um, which reads Magnificat Mea Anima, or My Soul Magnifies. And it's recited daily in a number of traditional liturgies. I remember years and years ago reciting it weekly every Sunday evening for a while during my childhood until I abandoned such prescriptive rituals in preference of less rigid practices. And I suppose that even though I was exposed to it over a number of years, I really didn't know what it was or from whence it came. 
I remember it beginning, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour, for he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Uh, that's the uh, the wording in the uh, the old common book of prayer. But I don't remember knowing that it was Mary, the mother of Jesus, who first spoke these words. And I certainly had no idea of the context in which they were spoken. I do remember liking the idea that he hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away, as we recited week after week, although there came a time where I do recall feeling that there was some sort of inconsistency when compared with the somewhat lavish decor of the local parish church. Well, all this aside, the Magnificat, or the Song of Mary, is recognised as being one of the most beautiful hymns or poems in the pages of Scripture. And its beauty is only magnified when considering the context in which it was first spoken. You know, here within the rural surroundings of the hill country of Judea, at the home of this elderly couple, these two women who had found such favour with Almighty God, one, you know, the barren wife of an old priest, the other, the young woman betrothed to be married to a descendant of David, both had having been blessed beyond all expectations by the gracious Spirit of God, and both blessed in order that they might be a blessing to so many others through the two sons they would bring into the world, one to be a prophet who would prepare the way for the other, the very Son of God himself. Rarely has history witnessed or recorded such a prestigious and monumental meeting as that of these two women, Mary and Elizabeth. But they're not alone, for the Spirit of God is most certainly within them. Perhaps one of the first observations we could make is that the song closely resembles some of the poetry we encounter within the Hebrew scriptures. It is, we might say, a very Jewish sort of composition. Indeed, students of the Old Testament scriptures may very well notice the striking similarity to a prayer recorded near the beginning of the first book of Samuel. 
This is the prayer offered by Hannah following the birth of Samuel as she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. You might want to read that in light of this song of praise recorded by Luke. But let's take a closer look at this beautiful song of Mary. And yes, I know that some want to attribute it to Elizabeth for reasons um, that will not interest us this evening, but the evidence is overwhelmingly in favour of this being the song of Mary. I suppose we could summarise it like this. The, uh, the first part of this song is, is, is praise for what God has done for Mary. Then there is praise for what God has done for all who fear him, who believe in him. And then there is praise for what God has done for his people, Israel. I rather like what one writer, uh, James Edwards in the Pillar Commentary, I, I, I rather like what he said of this prayer. He said, The essence of the Magnificat does not consist in its particular language or figures of speech, but in its revolutionary blueprint of divine favour. It is a hymn not of the proud, but of the powerless, not of just deserts, but of unexpected grace, not of a world fully controlled and determined by human powers, but overturned by divine comedy. Yeah, I like that. Well, that's why I read it out to you. But have you noticed that throughout the song, God is the subject of nearly every verb, telling us not who he is, but rather what he has done. You know, far from being one who is aloof and unapproachable, as many have so often believed, all such expectations of God are turned around. I mean, the idea that God should bless one so insignificant as Mary speaks volumes, and that certainly hasn't gone unnoticed by her. He is the God who doesn't turn away from poverty and suffering, but who rather turns towards those who are in need, with compassion, with salvation. The one who is above all, holy, he is the one who has become low in order that he might lift up those of humble estate and fill the hungry with good things. Isn't that amazing? And, 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 and this, this, this reversal of human expectations is one of those themes that is woven throughout the writings of Luke. 
Well, the opening words of this song very clearly convey the humility of the heart of Mary, a heart which is filled with joy, the, the joy of God, her Saviour. She knows that in time to come, we will look back upon her and recognise just how blessed she was. But there's absolutely no sense of self-importance. She knows, wholeheartedly she knows, that all which has been done for her has been done through the goodness of Almighty God, and holy is his name. But it's not only upon her that the goodness and mercy of God has been poured out, but upon all those who fear him from generation to generation. This this idea of goodness and mercy, it, it brings to mind what in the Hebrew scriptures is known as chesed. It's uh, a word which speaks of love, uh, but love demonstrated within God's covenantal faithfulness to his people. It's really a rather rich word, conveying um, rather rich concepts, if you like, within the Hebrew scriptures. And it's a word not easily translatable. It's often rendered as God's steadfast love towards his people. You know, the steadfast love that endures forever, as one of the Psalms will tell us over and over again. Well, much of this song of praise contains allusions to the Psalms. And here there are words that seem to be alluding to Psalm 103. Words, certainly, that come to mind as we read this. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. That's what verse 17 of Psalm 103 will tell us. And Mary proceeds to make known the everlasting mercy of God, his steadfast love to, to those who believe in him, by contrasting God's actions to the faithful and the humble and the hungry with those towards the proud and the mighty and the rich. And consistently God has demonstrated his mercy to those so often undertrodden by the world around them. And Luke has a good deal to say about that in his writings. But then the mercy of God has always been a part of his covenantal faithfulness to his people Israel. 
When the messenger Gabriel spoke with Mary, he had spoken of David and Jacob, and now Mary herself recounts God's faithfulness as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So he has now come to the help of his people Israel. And then Luke tells us that Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. No more is said of Mary until some time later. But first, Luke will turn his attention to the arrival into this world of one called John. Ah, but that's the sound of the mission bell, meaning it's our mission segment of the week. Time to consider what implications for mission there might be in the passage that we're looking into each Monday evening. And remember, when we think of mission, we want to always be thinking first of the mission of God, the Missio Dei, as some would say, and then we want to consider our place within that. As we've probably said before and may very well say again, it's not the people of God who have a mission, it's the mission of God that has a people. Well, I want to pick up on those final words of the Song of Mary, the, the Magnificat that we've been looking at briefly this evening. She, she spoke of God, her Saviour, helping his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. One of the things which Luke intends to do through these infancy narratives, I'm sure, is to link all that God has done in the past with that which he is about to do through Jesus, his Son. It isn't that the coming of Jesus, you know, simply fulfilled particular prophecies which had been made over the centuries, but that his coming into this world was the natural culmination of all that he had been doing through his servant Israel. It was wholly consistent with every aspect of his mission up until this point. Now, a good deal has been written as to whether Israel were, as a nation, particularly missional. And I'd love to share some thoughts on that at some other time, perhaps. But the thing is, and of this we can be certain, that the thing is, Israel served as the vessel of God, as it were, through whom he exercised his mission in the world. And Mary knew that. 
She knew that the role God had chosen for her to play was a part of that mission which God had faithfully pursued since the days of her father Abraham. And today, whatever role God has chosen for us to play, it is no less a part of that same mission through which God desires to bless mankind. I know we may not be called upon to bring forth the Messiah into this world. In fact, I can be pretty certain that we will not be called upon to do that. But whatever role we are called upon to play, it is one which we should accept with the same humility and with the same reverence as expressed by his servant, Mary. You know, we trace our history not back to an event in Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago, nor even to an event in Bethlehem a few years before that. We trace our history as the people of God in Christ all the way back to Abraham, our father in the faith, and we continue with that same mission which God began in calling him from his homeland. So as we come near to the close of our time together this evening, let me play once more the song we listened to at the end of last week's program. And uh, I want us to think of Mary and Elizabeth and the meeting of the unborn sons who were soon to turn this world upside down and change the history of mankind forever. My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my
Isn't that beautiful? Hmm? Well, as we come to the end of this week's edition of In Context, why don't you let me know your thoughts? You can message us on Facebook. Look for the truthfm.uk page. You can tweet us at truthfm.uk or you can email me at patrick at truthfm.uk and I would love to hear from you. So uh, until next week, let me wish you God's blessings. May he bless us abundantly uh, so that we might in turn, just as was Mary and Elizabeth and so many others that have gone before, that we might be a blessing to those all around us. Thank you for being with us. Look forward to catching you again, same time, same place, seven o'clock on Monday evenings. (music) 